Hello, this is the Leadership to Wealth podcast, and I'm your host, Neil D'Souza. So glad to have you with us. We are here on a journey to talk about the areas of finance, family, and fitness, and we are looking for people that are action takers. And so our guest today is a good friend of mine, and uh, I'm going to share a little bit about him. He's a fisherman's son, accidentally turned into a passionate consumer empowerment entrepreneur within finance. That's how he likes to describe himself. Uh, Sheldon has over 15 years of financial services with the, some of the big banks. He's a founder of a fintech platform and uh, called Pocket Finance. He's also a managing partner with Gemba Finance Mortgages and Lending. And he's serious about developing new and innovative strategies for empowering clients with full and fair disclosure. Now check check this out. He is also an open bank enthusiast. So we're going to have to find out a little bit about more about that and uh, a finance futurist. We're going to have to ask some more questions about what both of those things are. But uh, he has been in the business of finance, in the field of finance for many years. And uh, I'd like to introduce to, to you today, my, my good friend, Sheldon Bro. Hello, Sheldon. Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me on. As you know, I I love to talk in general, and I certainly love to talk about finance. and And just to correct, I'm I'm the reject banker of of the fisherman's family. So, because fishermen don't necessarily love you know uh, politics and politicians and and bankers, and we're usually shaking our fist at them. So I'm I'm kind of the guy that I think everybody turned their head and looked at me funny, but hope, I'm hopefully trying to bring a fisherman's heart into banking and make it a place where, um, you know, people can get the same advice they'd want to give their own dear mother, that they can have a place that they can safely trust to help them navigate. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. And I'm only a part of it because I want to make it better. I don't necessarily love the current state of the financial industry, but um, it's, it's yeah. a great opportunity for people that uh, want to make a difference. Yeah. So, so what exactly is a fisherman banker? Well, not a fisherman banker. I'm bringing a fisherman's heart into banking. So, oh, okay. you know, I come from a small village and, and in my village, you know, we don't lock our doors. We don't even really like close the doors. We kind of just have an unlocked screen door and you can, for the most part, just walk into anybody's house in my village. And, um, you know, we kind of have a lot of handshake deals. We don't really right. use credit. I was always told, but the only financial education I always got was pay for everything with cash. Don't borrow anything. Um, uh, and of course, you know, there's that, that's what I was told. And then what you're shown as an example is a whole uh, by your immediate family is a whole different education. But uh, bringing a fisherman's heart into banking just means trying to be a, a straight shooter and give people the real uh, tidbits that they need to intelligently navigate. The research shows that the more complex a banking product is, the more profitable it is for banks. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's a lot of statistics around that. So being able to have a conversation that you can trust uh, is is really what I'm trying to do is and just be a straight shooter within yeah. finance. So sometimes, uh, you know, I'm trying to balance between giving too much full and fair disclosure, which can overwhelm people uh, right. and keeping that keeping that language uh, simple and removing the jargon. OK, before we get into more about that more about you being a finance futurist and that I, i've got to ask you i think a deeper question because i've known you for a long time and 
uh, I actually remember many moons ago uh, seeing you one time out on the street in uh, in Halifax and you walked away and I remembered thinking I did not know what's going on with that dude's life and uh, and I proceeded to not see you for another gosh almost 10 years and uh, the next time I ran into you you were well on your way into finance how did that kid who was walking on the streets and uh I, I don't know how much direction you had back then oh, to, I was clueless. Clueless. To now. i never really started using my brain unfortunately probably till about 30 years old um i you know grew up with a single parent um then when i was like you know 15 16 went to live with my grandparents and i didn't ever have any direction i didn't even know that i could go to university i didn't know anything about options it was the end of high school when I was living with my grandparents. My uncle was like, go be a welder. So I was like, cool, I'll go be a welder. Um, only to realize that I really like talking to people, not necessarily in inhaling toxic fumes all day by myself. So, yeah, I mean, finance, working at the big banks was an interesting journey for me because it took me from just being some, you know, I'll just, I guess, bl bluntly say it, kind of a dopey young kid without any direction Yeah. to... Um, you know, I had had to learn a lot of stuff. There was like a, a realm of maturity and professionalism. I mean, even trying to understand, I remember when I first started at the bank and I got coached so many times. They saw a lot of potential because a lot of people that are successful in finance have worked in food and beverage as waiters and bartenders. Mm -hmm. And I had done that for a lot of years before I went to apply at the bank. And, you know, the... They, they're always looking for people that they think will have sales skills, interpersonal skills. They saw that, but then they were always coaching me on professionalism. So I started to try to do all this independent study. And you'd be surprised how hard it is to find good information about just the general concept of professionalism. I would find lectures and articles about professionalism within dentistry and, and little niches and stuff like that. But I, I was trying to understand, okay, there's some things that they tell me that I think is professionalism, some things that aren't. A long journey of just maturing and coming out of just, you know, being a very casual, working those kind of many part-time jobs. And I learned a lot and I found something that I was able to focus in and have um, some meaning in regards to a career. I mean, we all search for different kinds of meaning, you know, spiritual meaning and stuff like that. But I was able to actually you know, first I was kind of a nad fly, I think, where I was always pestering my manager's questions. Oh, this fine print says that. Is that good for customers? Oh, the annual report says this. What's that all about? Uh, and eventually kind of, um, you know, maturing through my banking life, uh, which was which was a, a really great experience. There was a lot of, obviously, other experiences that contributed to that. And I still am really kind of shocked when I look where I am now versus where I started during that kind of period you were talking about because I just I was just some kid that you know any job I was working front desk or shoppers drug mark cashier and just doing whatever and then all of a sudden uh, you know I became really interested and then I realized that in order for me to take what I want to do and impact in this industry uh, seriously I need to start relooking at, at how I operate every minute of my time how I operate all my thoughts how I operate within professionalism and just um, yeah, just, you know, becoming someone that people were going to be able to trust and having a conversation with their money. And while I'd like to think I've always been a trustworthy person, 
I wasn't necessarily a savvy type of person about really anything that you would necessarily come to get advice because I was just, uh, you know, a uh, young kid kind of coasting, coasting through life. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. I don't like, um, you know, ever any of the titles like CEO or anything. I think it's corny, but I'm, you know, I'm, we're, I'm a managing partner and founder with my business partner, Chris, who you also know. Uh, and, and now, you know, founder slash CEO of pocket finance, but it's really, um, you know, there's, there's so many different times in life to lead and to follow constantly. I'm following people, uh, within my team. Uh, you know, I've certainly learned a ton from people like yourself that I've been around, whether it's in conversations or just watching people at a distance. I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the first thing we can really maybe touch on is, you know, we've all heard that thing about you know, you, you can tell where people are going to end up by the five people that they hang around. Uh, and if you look at the five people I would hang out with back then versus the five people that I would hang out with now, um, it's a it's a drastic difference. And, uh, you know, you, you, you try to choose how am I going to use money and time in the in the wisest way that I can, because that's really what we're all trying to get is even when we're getting money, we're trying to get as much money so we can get our time back so we can retire. Right. Yeah. I, well, <laughs> Absolutely. The the whole point of money in and of itself is so that you can have time, right? And which I think is forgotten on a lot of people. But I, I just want to go back to yeah, I, I remember I remember that day you walking away and thinking, I'm probably never gonna see this guy again. Not being mad at you or any of that kind of stuff, but I remember you like it, it, when you're talking about money, I'm thinking I would not have given that kid <laughs> my money to ever hold on to. And I never uh, had any. Forget about it. Yeah. I never had any. I went yeah. through even even in the first many years of banking. Yeah. Uh, you know, I started that job, I think, making like thirty-five thousand a year, which how, most how people did, that how did you it, get well, into banking? How did you get into banking? You know what's funny? I actually was working at a restaurant and a hotel. Wait, wait, wait. Let me let me just say this because I can't even imagine you from that 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 kid back then. I couldn't even imagine you putting on a shirt and a tie. Me too. So, so tell us. Even though that was one thing I was always good at. That was the only thing that I kind of was like really passionate about as a kid was I collected ties. And my grandfather taught me at a very young age, like nine years old, how to tie a double Windsor. I was never wearing them, but I liked to borrow his ties and tie them. And then I started collecting ties of my own. But yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine that I would ever be wearing one on a regular basis and now we're back to you know no ties because we're on yeah. zoom all day long so most of us even if we have ties on there's jogging pants or boxers on underneath yeah, not me of yeah, course i'm very right. professional all the time i've got a, i've got usually got suit pants on even if i got a fun shirt right yeah don't please don't stand up we don't want to verify <laughs> so okay so uh so how did you get into banking tell us that story well that's a weird story actually so one of my i was working at a hotel and I was working uh, waiting tables uh, at Murphy's in the Water on the waterfront in Halifax. Uh, I had done like nine summers there. Uh, and I, one of my, I quit both to manage my friend who did music. Okay. And then a week after that, he was in jail for the next nine years. So then I was like, okay, that didn't go as planned. What should I do with my life? And I just 
put out uh, an application at, through Manpower. Mm -hmm. Manpower is trying to recruit for the banks because they're always trying to hire for that next wave of telephone banking. They're constantly recruiting for that. And they invited me in for the interview. I crushed the interview. They let me into the next interview uh, at the bank. I still remember the guy that interviewed me, Ken, nicest guy. He's still with that bank, I believe. And I remember at the end of the interview because I was super tired because I was still kind of a young guy, you know, in the restaurant industry, usually after your shift, you have a few beers or whatever. And I remember I was so tired from having a few drinks that night before. And I, he kept asking me questions. I felt like I did good on a few questions, but he asked me a couple that like I stuttered at in the end. And then he said at the end, is there anything you want to tell me to let me know why you're really the person for the job? And I just said to him, listen, I'm really tired. Those answers might not have been as articulate and coherent as I would have liked them to be. But I promise if you hire me for this job, I will make all of your wildest dreams come true. <laughs> and and he left the room and I wasn't sure like if that was like good because he didn't give me any type of like micro expression reaction. He just kind of like had a little bit of a, a smirk and then kind of left the room and left me in there for like 15 minutes. And then he comes back and offers me the job. And I was shocked. I was like, I'm picturing myself like doing banking. And then I went through training and in the first three months, I, I broke a lot of uh, records for sales within their like training thing. So they put me in this high target, uh, you know, where like two out of the 30 people go to and, and it was history from there. And I just, uh, you know, I looked at it very much as the roles that I always had, whether it was because I had worked at a number of call centers for charities. I had worked at a few different sales jobs, uh, certainly most especially with waiting tables because there's a sales and an interpersonal element there. And I took that onto the phones. And again, I think a lot of people in, in history have gone over to finance from uh, waiting tables and bartending and, and those interpersonal skills. Uh, and the, well, there you go. Uh, they, they really serve you because you, you know, and there's, there's waiters out there and waitresses that are like, you know, they're trying to like pretend to be nice and flirt with you. So they'll get a tip, but like, you know, the ones that really enjoy it, I think they do really, really well in finance. And I've, I've read a number of articles that talk about it. Usually recruiters are going out, they're trying to find these actual uh, people in that industry and get them to make a change. Uh, and probably a lot of them are, are you know, making a, a paradigm shift in their, in their maturity and professionalism like I did. Wow, that's really interesting. I, didn't, I never really thought about that. But I do remember that um, in, in working at restaurants and bars when I was younger, you really do learn how to interact with people very closely, sometimes pressure situation, real pressure situations, right? 100%. Like, uh, you know, Super you've got to, the cook sends the wrong food out or, yeah, you know, people I, are hungry, they're screaming, someone's drunk, all sorts of anticipating needs. I mean, you, right. you don't want yeah. somebody to have to ask for ketchup. Cause then they're halfway done their, their fries. Right. So <laughs> there was, right. a, there's a lot, but I mean, I'm a believer that there's transferable skills in everything. If you're, right. if you're a dishwasher and you're a hardworking dishwasher um, and actually my, my brother is a great example. My brother, I got him a job washing dishes at Murphy's in the water. Cause he's not the type of person oh, yeah. that would want to be out yeah. with people. Uh, and he took that work ethic over to now construction and drywalling and taping. And I'm telling you, he's one of the hardest workers out there. So there's a lot of transferable skills that people wouldn't realize that could go from a dishwashing job to a CEO job. Um, yeah. you're, and you're building that character, no matter what you're doing, no matter how, um, 
you know, I don't want to say it lowly because it's just a perception of society, but no matter how, uh, you know, modest our job seems, we really should do it with all our hearts because we're building our character up for something much bigger and better later. And I wasted a lot of years that I could have been, um, you know, building up that skill set and, and leadership uh, a heck of a lot sooner. Yeah. Well, I think absolutely when you're younger, you want to be working for skills. You want to be working for for those uh, for that educational value more so than anything else. Take that skill that you can learn there to be able to communicate with people, hear their needs. I know we don't always think about it when we're present to it, but I think there's huge value in being able to do that because like you said, that skill can then be transferred to the next step and then add to your, because every stop along the way adds to your, to your skill level, right? Yeah. And you just mentioned something that like made me really think about how just in those earlier days, especially as a waiter, like those listening skills of like, because even when people, if I ask a waiter for a recommendation at a restaurant, you're a waiter. I don't want you being kind of lax and go, oh, well, you know, it's all kind of, no, I want a strong opinion and I want you to kind of understand, you know, ask me some good questions. You know, the listening skills are always something we should all be kind of reaching towards. I don't think that, you know, the vast majority of humans probably do a very good job at it. I certainly uh, don't do anywhere near what I should at it, I, I think. And I'm always trying to improve that. But the listening skills, the anticipation, the, the reading, the language and stuff like that. Um, I mean, that's a huge skill right there that you can take into, I mean, not just, you know, a, a higher level executive role, but I mean, dealing with your spouse, I mean, you know what I mean? Well, I'll tell you a funny story that you just reminded me of. I, my family would go to, we'd go to this one restaurant um, every Sunday after church and we'd go to the same restaurant. And every time we would go, I would tell the waiter or the waitress i would always tell the wait staff okay here's what i want i want this then this then this and then this again before the meal comes yeah you got it yeah you're sticking it. to them okay great <laughs> i i told them this is what i want this is just how i like it and you know when you've got when you've got four kids you you care about how things happen because if this doesn't happen this way you've got you know, the team is all over the place, right? You yeah. got to coordinate it properly. So, yeah. okay, so here's what I want. This, 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 this. Okay, it would happen. I'd have to call them back. This didn't happen. And week after week after week, we still went there, right? We kept coming back. The, the price was right. But, and then I remember one week where the waiter took down everything that I asked him to do. And then he did it he was the first guy to actually do everything as I asked him to How do How many it. do you think you went through before he, before he I, did it? I, I, so many, so many that I dropped him a 50. Like wow. it, it was, I think that was, it was more than what the bill was. <laughs> like, I was, I was just, listen, I, I'm going to give you this just because you actually listened to me and you took me seriously and you actually delivered on what I asked. It, I just want to let you know that. And it had a higher perceived market value for that 50 because you've seen that so many other people couldn't do it. Because each time you see somebody not be able to, to perform, it seems like that's a, you know what I mean? That has a higher value to be able to, to get it done. 
Yeah, it, it was just amazing. It I was like, wow, I felt listened to, right? And um, and so I don't know how much he valued it, and but that's that's how much it meant to me. So in terms of uh, transferable skills and listening to people, <laughs> I don't know if that was really the point. But well, it, it is really intertwined though, because again, if you yeah. just look at that, if you take the time to build your skills, yeah, your, people judge our perceived market value within, I think it's one sixteenth of a second mm. of seeing you. And then, you know, you've got your first few words and you continue to compound that assessment that somebody's making of your perceived market value. Um, you know, taking all those little opportunities, probably half those people didn't even try. They, they didn't take it seriously. A lot yeah. of people will just, no matter what job that we're doing, even as, you know, mortgage brokers, I love having a deal that somebody else couldn't do that we're <laughs> able to get done. There's nothing that yeah. makes me feel uh, better within within finance of doing something that somebody else couldn't achieve. And it's not to rub right. it in whoever that mystery broker that didn't get it done was. It's to say, you know, if it, if it can be done, we can do it. If we can't do it, it can't be done. So... You know, that perceived market value of, you know, being able to not just process someone uh, and see that someone has taken your request or looked at those additional kind of nuances a little more closely is, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. Everybody can process transactions, but when you do those tiny little extra things, um, you know, it's, it's not the big experience of Disney I saw this uh, article the other day it's those tiny little things that they put into Disney World those tiny little experiences it's those tiny little peaks it's not this one huge experience that you have at Disney World when you see Mickey Mouse and that's what you remember it's those tiny little peaks throughout the process so um, you know I and you know as as a waiter you probably scrutinized him uh, a little more heavily as well because you were a former waiter and you're like yeah I would have got that right yeah, <laughs> I mean, I thought I was making all of their lives easier, but you know, um, <laughs> no, he's probably the first couple were walking away grumbling, just order your food, you're overcomplicating it. First couple that was, we were, we would go there every Sunday, and we had gone there for months to the point that. I, I don't know why I kept explaining it over and over again, but I did. And uh, and then one day this guy. So I would say we were at least into 20 previously. That's I, I crazy. So anyways, uh, I, what I'm curious about is what, what changed that you wanted to... Like, how did that passion kind of come? Because that you're, you're passionate in this area of finance now. What what came up for you that you're like, you know what, this makes a difference and I want to be this guy? I'd say one of the... Because the, it wasn't I, I, like you got married and then that happened. All that stuff came later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can remember a pivotal point. It was in my first year at the bank. Uh, I had, it was, you know, probably like nine months in and I had yeah. an, a 90 year old woman call in, yeah. uh, and I was in the call center. So when you call the number in the back of your bank card, you get one of us call center agents and she was doing what many pensioners were doing, uh, at that time of the month, which was calling in to see, is my pension deposited yet? We're on a fixed income because we're on pension. And, you know, because a lot of people may not have savings, they're just relying on the pension. So she's waiting for that to come in. 
and I, I give her the information and then I look and I see that she's got a $33,000 credit card balance and you can see everything when somebody puts the bank card number in, all of their information pops up. So while I'm answering your question, you're looking at other things because they train you to look for opportunities. And I see that she's been making a minimum payment on that credit card for a long time. Like I just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And I said, how long have you been making the minimum payment on this credit card? And she said about six or seven years. And I remember my, my, my stomach sunk because I live with my grandmother. And my grandmother admittedly was a little bit of a shopaholic. Uh, my grandfather was super, super frugal. So I think they kind of offset each other uh, a little bit. He wouldn't throw anything away without fixing it. But I thought to myself, well, how would I feel if my grandmother was in this position and I didn't know about it and nobody else was telling her? Because all she has to do is change that credit card balance to a line of credit or a loan, any different product, or even do a balance transfer, and she'll drop the rate to at least in half and pay it off incredibly faster. But either she didn't know or nobody from the bank was reaching out and telling her, either the people in her family knew and didn't know what to tell her because they're just like, pay it down the best you can, or they just didn't know because she didn't tell anybody because she didn't know how to ask or was afraid to ask. There's a lot of psychology that comes with finance. So that was kind of that main point where I, thought, okay, you know, this doesn't make me feel right. This is grade four type of knowledge, just change this product to this product, drops the rate in half. So I felt like there need, I need to take this job more seriously. I'm, I can't just treat this as like, oh, okay, sweet. I got a job at the bank. I can make good sales and make a commission on my units and annual bonus, which they've all thankfully changed now to lower the sales pressure. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I had a lot of experiences with, I seen people of all ages with that. Of course, there's an, uh, there was also a, a documentary I had seen on Netflix, uh, not too, too long after I started the bank, but I don't remember when. And it was about, uh, maxed out credit cards student. There's a, a, a there was an epidemic and has been a little bit of a continued epidemic in university students. Cause when you graduate from high school and you go out to university, they're giving away Frisbees. I got my first credit card because they offered me a free bag of cookies at the grocery store. And I'm a hungry guy all the time. So as soon as they said cookies, I was like, what do you want me to do? Cartwheels, a 30 minute choreographed dance, just sign for a credit card. Perfect. That sounds like a great idea. Sign away. Got my PC chocolate chip cookies, go home, get the $1,500 Bank of Montreal credit card in the mail. All of a sudden, my grandmother's looking like, you got a credit card? I was like, yep, go and shop and see you. Went spend $300 immediately. I remember that promotion with the cookies. Yeah. That's awesome. They give away all these little things to get you to sign up. And then when you yeah. get it, you don't really know what you're doing. You'll mess up your credit. You go over limit. They're, and they often will, unfortunately, put the limits up. You know, if you're making your payments for a while, they'll, they'll put the limits up on you. And there was a lot of kids that were committing suicide across North America, a lot in the U.S., uh, because they would rack it up while they're in school, probably usually hanging out, going out for food and drinks with their friends. Mm -hmm. And then they'd be too afraid to tell their parents that they've got fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars of credit card debt. Wow. So I, I you know, I, I started to have a lot of experiences. The punchline is is that I saw that, you know, just the way that the system was operating and the way we were being trained to operate um, really wasn't uh, having the kind of impact. And I thought about the people I, I care about. I didn't really know anybody that had any great financial understanding. And I was like, geez, I wonder how many people I know like these people that I'm serving that I just don't know what's going on in their life. I mean, my little brother got cancer at 23. 
he had insurance on his line of credit. He went into the bank to say, my doctor sent me in with these papers to make a claim on my creditor insurance because I have cancer. They said, don't make a claim. It'll hurt your credit score. It's not true. Makes no sense. And he went, I think, five or six more years before I came back from Toronto, found out about it, called the bank to ream them out. And you have 10 years to make a claim, thankfully. And they obviously had made a huge error at the, at the branch where he went into because it's highly subjective what level of training somebody at your bank will get. And I'll leave that with a very carefully, you know, I'm not saying that all people at banks are poorly trained. I'm not going to say they're all amazingly trained. It really depends on, you know, the, the people that you're dealing with locally there. But um, yeah, a lot of, ex a lot of personal experiences with family and, and then seeing those things happen in the bank. I just became really passionate about, again, I'll go back to those kind of keywords, full and fair disclosure. What do I actually need to know to be able to understand how to do things properly? I'm just wondering with regards to, you've done a lot of uh, self-learning. You've done a lot of studying at this point in time um, on your on your own time, after hours, right? I love, I'm, I'm completely obsessed and heartbroken every day. And I'm kind of annoying to almost everyone in my life now because of it. My wife, Chris, my business partner included, because yeah. for now, because I wasted 30 years, all I ever think about is that wasted time. And now all I think about is how do I best use my time? What am I going to get bang, maximum bang from a buck from every minute to minute, every day? And there's so much like unlimited free learning out there. Now you can take a Harvard course at Justice, uh, a, a Justice course at Harvard. You can take a psychology course at Yale. These professors are on YouTube the full course, yeah. like you're sitting in the class. Yeah. And these guys are so easy yeah. to pay attention to. There's, you can go on Coursera, EDX and audit. You don't even have to pay, or you can pay 65 bucks a month and get a certificate from Stanford, from Berkeley, from University of Minnesota, all these places. So I just became totally obsessed with catching up. And I don't know that I'll ever catch up with the, all of those years that I lost. I even grew up in my grandmother's. I mean, she had so many books in the attic and you know, I, I never was much of a reader. I just was kind of collecting what information I would stumble mm. across in, in my daily ventures, which, you know, weren't very fulfilling. And I would implore everybody to just take advantage of the free learning that's out there, whether it's a leadership to wealth podcast, fall asleep, watching, uh, listening to it. Um, you know, everybody's got 15 minutes at the end of the day when everybody's gone to sleep. Uh, I always say that, I mean, you know, we all talk about how busy we are. Mm -hmm. But uh, we can never be too busy to learn and having that obsession and that joy to learn and, and creating uh, a group of people around you that, you know, hopefully love to as well. I think it's really interesting what you're saying there, because for myself, I very much feel that way in terms of trying to catch up. I want to get as much in education, information as well. And... Uh, I, I'm kind of curious, would you tell, you know, that 18 year old kid, that 20 year old kid of yourself, would you tell that kid to uh, get his butt into school or to start a business now that you're now that you've gotten to where you've gotten? What what would be your advice to that to that? Well, kid now? I'm going to give a strong opinion, but I will segue with this, that I think every person, every situation, whether it's financial advice or otherwise, is highly subjective. There's a ton of variables and everything yeah. needs to be treated individually. Yeah. If I'm talking to myself, I'm telling myself, 
man, the internet's here now. Don't worry about going to school. Go out and start a business and get and just listen to lectures. Find the information that you want because when you go to a school, you you have a compartmentalized kind of education through a specific system and then the things that they've chosen. Um, you know, there might be a lot of things within business that maybe we want to have as that foundation, but um, you really get to pick and choose what you learn when you go out to to self-learn. And because of the internet, there's so much education available out there. Or just what you mentioned earlier, which I think is super important, is just being willing to go out and work for something. Gary Vaynerchuk says it all the time. Go and volunteer your time uh, and get around somebody that's professional, get around somebody that's intelligent and academic, get around somebody that cares about people, get around somebody that's amazing at business. And I will I will shovel, shovel their dog poop on their lawn to get some of those insights. Uh, you know, there's so much learning I didn't take advantage. Even growing up, my grandfather, he, he could put together, he could take apart and put together his truck and I could barely, you know, change the oil. And all of the time I had that I could have learned from him and had those practical skills, I didn't. And still to this day, I beat myself up about it. I'm like, you know, how could you be so stupid to have all that wealth of knowledge and you're not tapping into it. You're not taking advantage of it. Instead, you know, it's time to go do chores. I'm complaining. Your chores are a learning opportunity. So I would tell myself as, as a kid, you know, just go and start, uh, try, try to start a business. Try to, try to uh, you know, dive in. My family is very entrepreneurial. That's why I, you know, kind of would lean towards that. I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for going and getting a formal education, but it really depends on what you want to do. And I don't necessarily think everybody should run out of high school and go directly into school, uh, necessarily run towards one thing. You got to try to feel out what makes sense for you. And that's, that's not an easy thing for any of us to do. And guidance counselors are great at presenting kind of, you know, these typical options, but there's, there's a lot of different directions that people want to go these days. So, um, I would tell myself, you know, self-educate, go volunteer someone, get around people that are much older and wiser than you and take it all in and, and t take a run at, uh, starting the business a lot sooner. Mm. Well, okay. So, I mean, now that you've got, uh, I mean, you, there's, there's Gemba finance, but now you've also moved into pocket finance, which is a fintech. And uh, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and, and how you came to, to the creation of that? Well, and that's kind of that second level where you talked about earlier. So I went from first from like filthy yeah. kid to like semi-professional banker. And yeah. now all of a sudden financial technology or fintech. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I never could have imagined that would be dealing in technology. Um, yeah. You know, I grew up in the technological era like yourself where, you know, we grew up with the Internet uh, materializing and you know smartphones and everything else so we really understand how to use those things but I didn't really think that it would go much beyond that and uh, mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of legacy and old systems that we have within the financial industry I ended up I've always worked on the mortgage side closely with financial advisors uh, trying to be a part of their ecosystem using them as centers of influence referring them business as much as we can and I was referred clients on a regular basis that the advisors would say, listen, this client makes a ton of money, three or $400,000 a year. They want to come and, 
take out some of their investments. I don't want that because I manage their investments. That's how I make a living. I don't think it's good for their financial planning for themselves. But, you know, there was a, a, a very well-known one where there was a, a guy that was making 500000 was sent to me, and he was barely making it paycheck to paycheck. And I couldn't really restructure his debt. And, I've, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, I've, I've been in front of more than 100,000 clients' personal financial situations based on being in the call center. Because somebody calls in, you get to see all their financial information when they put their card number in, you see everything, mm -hmm. um, at least with that bank. And I had, you know, sat through more than a hundred thousand of those conversations because you take a lot of calls in a day. And I thought, if this is as even this bad when they have a financial advisor and they're making that much income, there's a bigger problem here. There's a there's something that's more psycho psychological. Uh, there's something that's more environmental. There's something that's a problem with full and fair disclosure in the systems. And yeah, I mean, there's there's so many interesting statistics about how much people are spending um i i decided that you know i wanted to sit down and figure out where is the technology that exists that i can give to my clients to pass off the burden because i tried to be like what we all try to be when we start self-employed which is the superhero to everyone even those that those that won't pay you as they should and i would do budget excel sheets with people and and none of it worked you know, they weren't waking up every morning uh, and then looking at the Excel spreadsheet that Sheldon made for them and being like, man, this is so awesome. This is really going to inform my day. And, you know, I'll, I'll have this dynamically, you know, operating in my mind. So I'll come and update that spreadsheet. And no, nobody's nobody's uh, though. You know, it's still statistically spreadsheets are the number one thing that's being used. So I started looking around on something to pass the burden off of, you know, what? I don't want to have these conversations anymore. I can't help these people. They're all over the place. They just have to try and figure it out on their own. Um, so I went and I tried to look at mint.com and you need a budget and all these different uh, softwares. And first I looked in Canada, then the US. And as I looked out into other countries, one, I saw that other countries were far ahead of us in their financial industry and in technology and moving towards open banking, which we'll talk a little bit more uh, in a bit. Uh, and then I didn't love the technologies that I was seeing for the purposes that I wanted as a financial professional to be able to give people something that they could operate the day to day micro decisions outside of those higher level strategic meetings, whether it's with a financial planner about a financial plan or with a mortgage advisor about a future goal to buy a home. So, uh, you know, I sat down, did a lot of mental work, drew out. I went on actually Canva, uh, which I think a lot of people are familiar with. It's great software. I, encourage everybody to sign up for it's great for so yeah. many different things yeah. uh, and I drew out what this app would look like I still have the, like the first iteration is like 25 pages on Canva and it looks just absolutely horrible um, but conceptually I, I thought you know what this is something I'd like to have for myself this is something I'd like to be able to leave for my kids someday if I'm not there to be the, the banker bulldog uh, for them, which I've had to be for so many friends and family, and not everybody mm -hmm. has that. Uh, and then it's kind of all history from there. We started, uh, you know, I was thankful enough to have my mortgage business partner buy into the idea, both, you know, uh, financially and uh, and buying into it, you know, as far as a movement. Uh, and I was able to kind of slowly transition my focus over to pocket finance while we continued to build up uh, Gemba. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And, and so what, um, are we allowed to talk about what it does or? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so. Cause you can't get it in the app store yet. It's, you haven't launched it yet. No, we're hoping to launch sometime between August and January with technology. Uh, I will let everybody know. I think most people, most young people should at least take a look at coding and, uh, have a light understanding that they're teaching it in a lot of schools just as, as a baseline now, even in an entrepreneurship uh, classes, because developers have the whole world by the groin. They, they control how a lot of they can, they can just snap their fingers and find another job the next day. You can come out of school making great money uh, doing front or back end development. Um, so what it, what it does is it aggregates all of your banking into one place for one comprehensive view. Right now, we typically are dealing with a few banks. We might have most of our banking at one bank, but you know, you have got a credit card at Capital One, and you've got a, a loan at Honda Finance, and you've got you know a number of different things going on in your financial life. We connect to all of the banks. We can connect up to fifty thousand banks in North America and Europe, and uh, we also are going to be connecting to the credit bureau. So it's going to help people essentially stop being a gong show with their finances. But even for those that aren't a gong show with their finances, it's going to be uh, less effort for a better return. Uh, and that's why a lot of people were still using spreadsheets because the technologies that were out there weren't all that awesome. You know, there's these cute little apps that'll round up savings every time you spend, but yet if you don't spend, you're not saving and mm -hmm. little compartmentalized, cute little things, but there wasn't really anything that was, kind of giving us that straight shooter information as it arises. So if you, for example, Neil, uh, you've got, you know, a lot of people in Canada have big car payments. I'll encourage you all, uh, especially, you know, the younger folks going out, uh, out of university to get their first place or their first vehicle, choose wisely, choose carefully. Don't just roughly ballpark what you think you can afford. Uh, but imagine that you have like a $500 a month car payment and that par car payment is done next month you should be having a conversation at least 30 days in advance of that to learn how to purposefully allocate those funds before they go into spending oblivion. Uh, and a lot of the times that advice that we're getting financially is from our buddies, our uncle, John, the welder, uh, you know, our parents is the number one place where we get our financial education from. And I'm going to throw my father under the bus a little bit here. I went to, and this just, you know, his heart was in the right place, but the state of his financial literacy was very poor at the time. And I didn't know any better because I didn't have a job at the bank yet. I was going to school and I didn't have money for rent. So I said, dad, can I borrow $200 for rent? He said, I'll do you one better. I was like, sweet, do that. I'll take you into the bank and I'll co-sign for you to get overdraft. I was like, sounds like a good idea. So we go into the bank. So my father has conceived this as a good idea, which it's not. But again, he's trying to be helpful. So, you know, kudos. But now I'm, we, we've gone into the bank and I'm telling the banker this, I'm saying, this is what we're doing. This is why. And he thinks, sure, let's do that. This is not anything any parent or any banker should have allowed to happen. So what do you think happened for the next year? You lived in overdraft. Overdraft city, baby. <laughs> overdraft city. And guess what? <laughs> You can only be in overdraft for six months before they'll shut it down and put in collections mm. because you have to come back out above zero for at least 24 hours, which I managed to do that, which is great because I get to live in overdraft for another six months.
but and I and I and I just talked. To, I just had uh, wings with somebody the other day. He's like, "Yeah, man, I'm a student. I've been in overdraft five hundred dollars for like six months. I don't know. I, I'm not coming out anytime soon." That's five hundred bucks, and that that all could be th through the, the our app is actually going to not just aggregate data because that's simple for anybody to do. Um, we're actually going to inform the insights and the notifications and the and the push insights. Uh, we're going to inform that from fine print. So we're going to be investing in natural language processing. And I know Neil, like most people, you've you know taught your kids to read through all the fine print of their cell phone agreements. And I know you've probably read the full uh, agreement for uh, your bank card. But um, you know most of us don't have time to do that. So you know finding out those key components of what's actually important to know about this product or the creditor insurance or one of the many creditor mm -hmm. insurance people are trying to attach to it. I'll tell you an interesting story. I went to just the other day with my wife's bank card. Um, she is from Guyana. She moved here recently. Um, and she had a little bit of money in a bank account back home. So we went to take some of the money out, pay the foreign exchange through, I think it was uh, TD bank. And when I, it came up on the screen where it said you can either choose this rate of your exchange or you can choose the rate that's a part of your cardholder agreement. Which one would you choose? So you can choose the one that's part of your cardholder agreement or the rate that we're going to give you here. I, we're telling I you this one. Check. Yeah. Well, I'd I didn't have to have... go check the other one. Yeah, and I didn't have my cardholder agreement, and I didn't realize I probably could have Googled it online. And even as somebody that feels, I feel like I'm very strong in day-to-day -day banking, I can answer a lot of banking questions, I chose the rate that I could see there because I couldn't right. see the cardholder agreement, so right. that was unknown to right. me. So I thought, oh, you're not going to get me. I'll choose this one. And I went and I checked it later, and the cardholder agreement was lower. Hmm. So I ended up paying more for that exchange. Why they would even ask me, I don't even think that different people have different exchange rates. If they do, there's probably like three buckets. So there's there's so much full and fair disclosure to get access to within institutions and everything is always trying to trick you and, and confuse you uh, into paying more money. Does that make you upset? It makes me it makes me very upset and got me in a lot of trouble when I was at the bank and during my earlier banking non-professional days because I wouldn't go and diplomatically raise concerns. I would go up and say, this is crap. What's this all about? And, uh, you know, I, I got upset in a lot of different ways for, for a long time. And now I'm able to channel that into into pocket finance and, uh, and creating something that can actually give meaningful change to people's day-to-day -day finances. Yeah. Well, definitely look forward to hearing more about that. I don't want to uh let too much out of the bag i know that you'll obviously have a launch and all of those things for it so uh but let me ask you this other question because you you just mentioned about your wife um you you got married later along with uh having uh kids later in life and any thoughts on that uh, as opposed to why didn't you do it sooner for me why i didn't do it sooner is just i was wanted to be really careful who I chose. I've, you know, I've yeah. seen, I grew up in a, a single parent home. Um, tons of my friends were, you know, out randomly having kids. And I just thought, 
And, and I will say that I don't think there's any ideal time financially. Everybody, I think, always tries to maybe sometimes, you know, you have to put some consideration into it, but at the same time, you'll never find the perfect time. But for me, it was all about finding someone that uh, we're going to make sure to remain together. We're going to be able to dedicate. I don't want to create, um, you know, a kid that's only growing up with one parent. So I was just really careful about, um, you know, being in, in serious relationships. And I, and I, and, and that also, you know, being a young guy that you know, I grew up first with just my mom and then my grandparents, I was able to like kind of mm. have a lot of freedom. So I was just always wanting to do whatever Sheldon wanted to do all the time. But I think that I'm glad that I did wait because, you know, as we spoke about at the beginning of the conversation, I wasn't really mature. I wasn't, uh, I probably would have been more of a responsibility for any woman that it would have, have taken me on. And, and there was a, a lot of good women that I dated, but uh, I think that I had a lot to learn in order to be able to offer what I'd like to in, in fatherhood and, and husbandhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm curious, just because we've been in COVID, how, how have you been addressing, um, y you know, the physique and that kind of stuff, because nobody's getting out anywhere. So, oh, man. so I've always, I actually have a thousand dollar bet with one of the advisors on pocket finance team that when I'm 60 years old, I will still be able to jump over a picking table and catch a foot football midair. So during the last three months of COVID, I've got... Wait, wait, wait. For those of you that don't know what he's talking about, there is a video out there somewhere circulating of Sheldon jumping over a picnic table and catching a football behind your back with a spin move. But that's, all, that's the only one that's public. I go, every time I go out to play sports, I'll bring one of my friends and we'll play like these two-player games and I'll bring like a football and a soccer ball and basketball. And we'll play like little mini games with each other. But I always want to end the day on... Okay, now you're going to throw a football at my face. Oh. oh, yeah, afterwards. But not before jumping over a ping table. Throw the football at my face. I'm going to jump over the picking table. And I record it every time. And I'm going to show it. I keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And I went out today, this morning, to play basketball. And I wasn't really, like, doing as much as we usually do. We usually running hard, working up a sweat. We just played 21 in horse. So I just yeah. – I didn't really stretch or anything much. So I was, like, really, you know, kind of – my muscles are all tight. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go and we're going to throw the football. Bro, I couldn't even jump over the table just without any football being thrown at me. As I was approaching the table, my body just felt weird. I felt heavy. I went to jump and I just would like get scared halfway up. So like I was really seriously like thinking about I could feel it in my knees when I walk upstairs right. now. COVID has not had much impact uh, on me as it has on a lot of people. It's been good for both of our businesses. We've been very fortunate yeah. through the whole thing, but I can tell you that my physical health is, uh, has been not, not good as far as not getting exercise, sitting in front of, you know, zoom calls all the time. Um, it's, it's been a bad situation and, and I'm, and I'm getting worried about if I'm going to lose that thousand dollars to Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, uh, he's worried about it. You better make sure he puts it somewhere safe, like with a lawyer's trust account. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, I get that. I get that. Now, um, you know, you again, you, you've now had uh, you you got one kid, right? Yeah, one nine month nine month year old uh, or yeah. nine month daughter. 
daughter. And um, are, are you planning on having more? Do you think you have more? Because I know you've got a really busy schedule. I sorry, I don't mean it for anything other than you. I know you've got a really busy schedule, and you're you're hustling. You're literally hustling like you were out on the streets. I don't know how people with more one kids do it because when my friend, uh, I used to babysit for one of my one of my buddies when he was away for a while. Yeah. Uh, and I remember I was babysitting one kid a few times, but I took two of them, and that's like it feels like an exponential increase. So. I would be happy with just one to spoil at the same time, you know, there's how many kids does a wife want. But at this point, COVID has created such a weird world politically uh, and just, you know, different. I mean, there's all these conspiracy theories about blah, 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 whatever. But like the world is weird right now and we don't know where weird place is going to go. Digital currency, you know, great reset, all this other weird stuff. Now I'm like, I don't, if anything happens to me, I want her to have a teammate. I want, I want to have another boy or girl so that she's got a teammate where if anything happens to me and my wife, then she's got somebody else that doesn't just have to be, you know, a stranger that didn't know her for her full, whole life. You know, what, what do kids do now, right? They're coming out of school. They're trying to figure out what to do in this COVID world trying to, where, where do they go? I mean, okay, you said ta you talked a little bit about uh, getting some coding experience and going out and starting a business, but but when you have no idea where to, where to get started, what would, you, what would you advise someone 18 years old coming out, what they're trying to figure out, what do I do with my life? The clearest advice for, for somebody else is just optimize your time and your expenditures. There is a, so much waste, and especially in North America, uh, there's so much waste that we have. So one example is don't rush to be that cool person that moves out from their parents' house. I get it, you're strong, you're independent, you don't wanna live with your parents, but what's more embarrassing? Living with your parents or being broke and just barely being able to make rent. And then you know when the girl comes over to your mouse infested apartments, because at this point, there's a there's a rental crisis, so you probably can't afford anything that great. Don't rush out of your parents' house. Optimize your time, and one of the greatest ways to optimize your time and your expenditures is to stay home with your parents a little bit. I'm talking to your kids too. Stay home with Neil until you're, you know, 23, 24. Don't rush. I, I'm not saying the exact age, but I, just I, don't I, rush out. Don't I rush don't out. think I don't think any of the kids right now are rushing out. I don't think that's a uh, it has a phenomenon. It, well, well yeah. millennials have started to stay home more with their parents. It has mm -hmm. been an increasing trend. But I've always had a great admiration for other cultures where they'll even when they do move out of their parents, they will move in a, a lot of people in, into a household because they're trying to be uh, financially prudent. And I can tell you, I was one of those people. And every single person in my graduating class, I can't think of a single person in my graduating class that didn't immediately move out, even if we didn't have a game plan. We moved up to Halifax from my village. We were getting our own apartment. We were segregating, you know, pick your roommates, whatever. And why? It's, I mean, the, optimize your time and your expenditures. Don't do the wasteful things you see your friends doing. Don't rush to get it out of the house and then make use of that time. Optimizing time. And optimizing time, Neil, I think when I started out and when people hear me talking about it, um, it's always a thinking that I'm talking about productivity. But 
if you spend time with your kids, you want that time to be optimized. You don't want to have financial stress in the back of your mind when you're trying to read one of your kids a book or play baseball or go to a gymnastics event. You want to be fully in the moment. You don't want to be have any silly distractions. So, you know, optimizing our time means making sure to handle the business that we need to handle to manage life. But it also means that you're able to free up the optimization of your relaxation, get the highest quality, the highest return on your investment for everything that you allocate your time towards. And there's mm. so much um, poorly used time. I mean, how many times I would get off at the restaurant and just go and have a beer and, and talk silly. That's something that we all need. But mm. with how often I was doing it, there was a ton of waste. So I would, for me, giving advice to anybody is, you know, don't, don't try to keep up with what your friends are doing. Uh, don't rush out to live on your own and figure out a way as soon as you're done school, now you've been gifted this bulk of time. You're not in school anymore. It's not a part-time job. You can go get a part-time job, full-time job, go back to school. You now have the choice as to how to allocate your time. Sit down, have meaningful conversations with people's opinions that you trust. Your parents, your friends, not necessarily in every situation. The parents or the friends are going to be the best ones to go to, but go and find those conversations and figure out how do I make great use of my time because that's going to give you a massive, massive return on investment and compound interest, uh, metaphorically speaking, in the next decade and the decade after that. And, the, and then you see people like me at 30 years old trying to catch up. I mean, if I'm really fortunate for the situation I have now, but it, it always makes you wonder, well, if I had shown some sense a lot earlier and I had shown some maturity and some professionalism and that obsession with optimizing every minute, a lot sooner, well, where would I be now? Mm -hmm. How many people would I have impacted? How many people would I have I helped empower to, to do the things that they want to do? But now, don't you think that when you're younger, you've got, it's the, it's the laws of supply and demand. When you've got so much time, you don't realize the value of it. And so, how do you become present? How does a kid how do one of my kids become present to the value of that time? I almost feel like you have to lose some of it before you realize that uh, how precious it is. Well, and I, I think that's why I really like, I love seeing kids get involved in, in entrepreneurship, even if it's, a, you know, just a little lemonade stand. Mm. And I think I, I really want to teach my daughter to be, not always in every situation because I'm just not a believer in that, that somebody just should always be leading because they're naturally this great leader. We have to be able to lead and we have to be able to follow. But a lot of times what will happen in a group of friends is that everybody's kind of following each other and nobody's really leading. And you're just kind of like hanging out at the mall and doing, you know, whatever. But like, let's let's lead a meaningful conversation let's go and organize a really cool activity let's go and do some volunteering let's sit down and discuss an idea mm. you know how many times as as kids or just even nowadays people will be sitting around having a beer with buddies be like this would be such a cool idea for an app well then talk about it meet about it once a week maybe nothing will ever come of it but you've had four or five conversations that were intelligent conversations that helped you to assess an opportunity that helped you to have uh, interesting conversations and do mental work and have that exploratory conversation with people that, mm. and that, and that, you know, that having the, that leadership is going to help you figure out, well, 
what are the what are the conversations and the people I want to be around so having leading your time I heard this amazing quote from my favorite philosopher of all time um, and he said if you do not lead your mind it will lead you and it can only lead you based on what it knows if you do not lead your mind it will lead you but it can only lead you based on what it knows do you want to be a product of determinism and of your environment or do you want to have more than a fraction of free will where you can have an influence on um, you know not just the optimization of your time but the optimism is I mean do you do you have a best friend do you like them do you care about them help them optimize their time so the, yeah. the return for you and and the people around you is, is huge so you know, like I said, punchline is just find some ways to optimize every minute. Plan, wow. plan out your day, plan out your weekend. This is what I want to get done, whatever else. It may not go always perfect according to plan, but it, you're going to get some achievables. You're going to optimize sometime, and you're going to start, as you slowly start to see the return on the investment come to fruition, you're going to want to, you know, put more into it. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So let me let me ask you: Is there uh, is there anything else that we need to touch on before uh, we let you go? Anything that you're like, oh, we got to talk about this? Well, I would say that most people don't realize that they're making if they're not making more every year, they're making less because of inflation. Ooh, okay. Um, I love that we're in a do-it-yourself uh, climate. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I you can Google anything or you YouTube anything, and you can fix your computer or fix your car or whatever else. Do-it-yourself is great in combination with a team that you trust, whether it's in regards to your finances, Absolutely. whether it's in regards to whatever else. But, you know, we, we're familiar with that uh, antiquity text term, a wise person has many advisors. Doesn't mean you're taking everybody's advice all the time. You can't do that. But building a team of people that you can go to to get those quick punchlines of advice um, it's the only reason I've been able to have any success with pocket finance is listening and tuning in to that advice of people around me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, can't imagine I would be able to do anything that dazzling on my own, but I'm smart enough to, to be around, you know, people that are, are a lot smarter in, than me in, in a lot of different areas. Um, and, it, you know, I think just find some way to get outside of the social media hype we see we see uh, all these cute little videos and memes about it. How we all stare at our phones. And we're all trying to keep up with the Joneses. But how how well do we really do at at not just trying to live this Instagram life where we're trying to portray ourselves in a certain way and brand name this and that? And you know, I remember I had one nice shirt as a kid. It was an Adidas shirt. It was just a plain gray shirt that said Adidas across it. Across it. But it was the only like real brand name shirt I had. So I thought it was like the greatest thing ever. And then I was humbled because I left it out. My brother got a cat and his cat peed on it. And there's no coming back from cat pee. And I'm just devastated because I'm like, um, uh, I'm never going to be cool again. I don't have a cool shirt. Um, Chris, my business partner, who you know, told me a story once when he went to visit his parents-in-law in Japan. Uh, and I think that they, they're very prudent uh, with their money. They, they live a good life. They kind of live out they have they grow their own vegetables and stuff and he was asking his father-in-law he's like man that's a really nice car what kind of car is it his father-in-law didn't even know what kind of car he drove and he didn't care it ran he maintained it well so you know 
you can never talk enough about not keeping up with the Joneses. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not making more every year, you better find a way to spend less every year. Uh, and there's a lot of interesting ways to do that. Your credit card companies want you to live beyond your means. They want you to be the Canadians that are spending 180% of their disposable income. Mm-hmm. That has to go somewhere, typically on consumer debt. And remember, I told you about that 90-year-old lady making the minimum payments? Yep. Do you pay your credit card off every month? Uh, no. Sometimes, yes, Sometimes. but not always. Yeah. So the months that you do, yeah, the formal term for you that the banks use is deadbeat. Oh. Yeah. When you think of the word deadbeat, that's like a harsh term. You think of like deadbeat dad or like deadbeat, you know, it's like it's pretty it's a pretty serious term. They use yeah. that in their formal report. So if you're going to get any debt ever in life, yeah, it's smart debt. So why don't smart you debt. take a moment to comment to us on what you what, think what? smart debt looks like well, as opposed to bad debt? Well, I know I know uh for me smart debt would be debt that then of course makes you a return. Right, that you're using, you're leveraging that, and it's making you return somewhere else. So what's that's what I would call smart debt. Oh, um, home equity loan, then being able to, uh, uh, sorry, like a, a HELOC line of credit, taking that money, putting it, buying another property. That property is an income-producing property, right? Um, taking money from your credit card, putting it towards um, acquisition of. Um, you know, of another, I'm big on income properties, obviously. So <laughs> taking that money, putting it there because you don't always have to have cash available. Um, but you can put it on to, um, you know, acquiring another property or sometimes you don't even have to acquire that property. You can wholesale it and, uh, and shift it over. Right. Um, again, it, it becomes, it becomes debt that you can write off and, uh, make money on. Yeah. And I think most people that have wealth would say that real estate is that smartest, most common debt. Yeah. One of the other yeah. smart debts, I mean, even you, you know, starting your own business, even if your business yeah. is not successful, yeah. hopefully the return on your debt, even if your business isn't successful, is a lot yeah. of learns. I mean, how many successful entrepreneurs have had 10 failures before they had a success? Yep. And and in, and this, those 10 failures taught them what they needed to, to have that eventual success. So yeah, that's not the best example of smart debt, though I would plug it in there also. Real estate, yeah. you know, certainly be the, the best example yeah. uh, when you're able to, you know, uh, so get some type of return on investment. But uh, yeah, yeah, just, uh, you know, having having I, great, great places where you can tap into advice. And even if it's not somebody you know, tune into Leadership Wealth to Wealth podcast. Um, you know, find the the components that are, are most interesting you, and and uh, yeah. just continue to to build more advisory around you. Yeah, you know, I it, it's interesting. You you just raised a question for me because I I think I hold of higher value sometimes having access to cash uh, above. Like I know a lot of people always want to make sure that they've got zero balance. And for me, I'm like, can I do more with this money than, than some of those things? And, um, and right now I'm seeing huge opportunities in income producing properties. And so, um, but that's a, that's a good, 
it's a good uh, question to uh, to think about. What are we doing with our money, and uh, are we? Is it s smart debt? Is what you're calling it? smart debt, or uh, what's the other one you you called it? Just well, consumer I, I debt. I, I would, yeah, I would, I would just call it unproductive debt. Um, unproductive debt, yeah. But you know, this there's. It's funny that even what you said just made me think of something. Like, and I've seen this so many times, including with family members. Well, I have. Yeah. I had one family member that had a fifteen thousand dollar line of credit with a zero balance. Yes. Already set up. And he had fifteen thousand dollars in a credit card. Took me more than three months to convince this guy to just transfer the balance right. over. But he's like, no, we've right. always had it this way. People will keep five thousand dollars yeah. in their bank account yeah. and owe five thousand dollars on the line of credit. Right. Just because right. they like that psychological feeling of, well, now I've got five thousand dollars. Well, you still got five thousand dollars on the line of credit if you need it. Yeah. You could put it yeah. there. Cause yeah. not paying seven percent is kind of the same as making seven percent. Right, right, right. Well, I, you know what? One of the things that I always talk to people about is where, what's that? Just the same way we look at a, at a property and go, what's the highest and best use of that property? I tell people to look at your, look at your cash, look at your credit. What's the highest and best use? And normally when it comes to, uh, when it comes to investing, I'm always going to tell people you're, your best use is to start with your credit and then before you go to your cash. Uh, because if the bank's going to give you that money to be able to then move it to, to an investment that's going to be, you know, you got a, a line of credit that you're paying three, 4%, and then you're going to be able to turn around and make eight, 9% on that money. You're, you're making that difference for free, right? But uh, again, that that's all stuff that someone has to be willing to. They want to learn about that. They want to be up on top of that. Otherwise, otherwise, I've also seen a lot of people with that idea, but then they don't actually they don't actually execute it that way. They they get these ideas in their head, but then they don't actually execute it. And okay, I so think some people get worried about that. So I think three things we can kind of end this on as three solid points. Is one is um, highest best use yeah. of everything, your time, your money, everything else yeah. is going to get you your return. Um, you know, we, oh, I think I lost the other two now. So there, there's highest best use. There's the, uh, ability to, um, make sure that, oh yeah, make sure. Cause you said at the beginning action, this is for action takers. Yeah. And the third thing is finance is not complicated. I'm going to let everybody in a little surprise. All of the people at your local bank, none of them have an economics degree. None of them have an, and, and they don't need it. It all, it, it's like most, not, it's not like the laws of physics and, you know, you know, complicated math. It's usually most of what we work within, Neil, admittedly, is there's a lot of working parts. There's a lot to know, but most of it's like grade six or seven math that you can figure out. So don't be afraid, learn, tune into leadership to wealth, tune into other learning resources, surround yourself with those conversations, be ready to take action because learning without taking action, I wouldn't say it's totally useless, but yeah, it's kind of totally useless. And 
highest best use. I mean, that's what we're trying to do with pocket finance. People don't want to fill out forms. Advisors don't want to chase you for information. There's a, we put consumers in managing their finances and financial professionals at their highest best use. Yeah. Whether it's just not having to like stare at a spreadsheet all day or whatever else, highest best use of your time, highest best use of the money that you have access to to make sure there's a return on your investment. And I think that those are, you know, three good punchlines to finish off the podcast. <laughs> thank you for doing my work for me. That was mm -hmm. great. <laughs> Sheldon, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, well, I would encourage everybody to go to pocketfinance.com, sign up for our wait list. You'll find out when we launch uh, and you can take a look and see if it's something that you think is going to uh, make you profoundly better at managing your finances and maybe get some less kicks in the rear from your spouse uh, and some high fives instead. Uh, you can reach me at Sheldon uh, at pocketfinance.com. If you ever want to talk about anything in regards to pocket finance, open banking technology, uh, I'm always looking for uh, more developers to build our technology. They're super hard to find because they're always heavily employed. Uh, and of course, we're working with Chris on the Gemba Finance side. You can go to GembaFinance.com to see what we're doing there. But we're doing residential and commercial mortgages, mostly refinances and first-time home buyers. Uh, working with a lot of great people across the country. We can do mortgages in any province. Uh, and yeah, if you uh, send us an uh, email at info at gambafinance.com anybody who wants to uh you know discuss mortgages or just uh, ask random questions about finance you won't really find many people out there more willing to take their own time and give it to you to answer uh, everyday banking questions and hopefully lead up to us doing some business someday love it love it my man thank you so much for coming on the show today and uh you know definitely looking forward to uh, hearing more about pocket finance uh, in the coming months and uh, definitely about uh, your family as well. Wish you all the best. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. Appreciate you uh, putting up with my long-winded answers and my uh, eccentric shirt. <laughs> Love the shirt. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks, man.